Hello, I'm Taylor Romans. And I'm Matthew Burritt. And this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education. If you are enjoying listening to these episodes, please consider helping us continue this work by making contributions to the show. You can do this through our website and our Patreon account by making one-time donations, or if you could, consider making monthly contributions, which goes to support our work here at the Hard Beeswax Podcast Studio. If a financial contribution is not in the cards, please consider sharing our episodes with friends, family, or anyone else you think might enjoy what we are doing here at the podcast. We thank you all for listening. This week on Hard Beeswax, Taylor and I speak with Kate Mizzy, a Waldorf alum and the communications and marketing coordinator for the Halton Waldorf School. We are individuals who are a part of this global educational movement. And we want to be clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being with us today here on Hard Beeswax. We're so excited you're joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I think this is great what you guys are doing. And, and just for the, for the benefit of those, um, for those listening, could you maybe just start with how you found us? <laughs> because this is really exciting. We, we don't know you. This is our first time meeting you and connecting with you as well. Yeah, sure. Well, I, um, I run the Instagram account here at the Halton Waldorf School. And, you know, I, I'm sometimes just scrolling, um, you know, either for inspiration or, you know, just to see what else is going on out there. And, and you guys popped up in your little outfits on your <laughs> and it made me laugh out loud and then I realized oh wow this is a podcast that's about Waldorf education I have never stumbled across that before and what an excellent theme for a podcast especially as a means of sort of connecting Waldorf students and alumni and teachers and uh, supporters of Waldorf education all around the world um, I feel like Anytime I meet another Waldorf person, uh, with air quotes, um, we all just connect very easily. And there's so many threads uh, that we all have woven throughout our lives that are so relatable. And, and so I had to reach out because I, just, I had a feeling it would be a really great conversation. And I've enjoyed the conversations I've listened to thus far on your, on your podcast. Great. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're so <laughs> delighted. You know, we, when we started this, there was this hope of, okay, well maybe we'll start within our network and then it'll grow and, and grow and maybe we'll connect with new people, but it's, it's happening. And, yeah. and so thank you for reaching out and being a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. So let's, let's start with you and, um, you know, what, so what was your first, how did you get, um, what was your experience? You know, how did you get connected to Waldorf education? Was that through your parents or through, you know, how, how did that, how did you first come into Waldorf uh, education? Well, uh, I feel as though I was just born right into it. Um, my mom uh, was an early pioneer of Waldorf education here in Southern Ontario in Canada. Um, she helped sort of co-found a, a kindergarten and my sister who 
you know, was 15 years older than me, um, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, sort of a few years after graduation, did her early years teacher training and began working as a Waldorf kindergarten teacher. Um, and then my mom uh, went on to be a Waldorf handworking teacher and chairman of the board at the school that I went to. And so I was constantly inundated, surrounded, steeped in yeah. <laughs> everything Waldorf at all times. Um, and then, of course, uh, I, I went through kindergarten and, and as a as a Waldorf student, and I had two experiences of leaving Waldorf. One was very abrupt, short lived, and then went back into it. And then I'm sure we'll talk about uh, this later. It, the, the bigger sort of leaving of Waldorf, and then coming back to it as well. Yeah. Um, basically, a lifetime and surrounded by it always. <laughs> so, did you did you have a stereotypical Waldorf home? You know, I feel like the so. <laughs> what were some of, what were some of the things that you associate with that because I know I in my mind have sort of the things the smells the textures that I associate with that but what was that like for you yeah so absolutely I did have a very Waldorf home it basically looked like a Waldorf kindergarten <laughs> um, <laughs> there were always silks hanging we had um you know I, I would say my mom was maybe a little bit more lenient than some with the toys that we played with. We did have a little bit of plastic in the house, but not too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of wooden structures, lots of um, abstract watercolor painting, um, you know, as artwork hung throughout. Uh, there was definitely always beeswax candles burning in the mm. home. Um, you know, we ate porridge most days for breakfast. Warm, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> nourishing food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, my my father was constantly toy making because that's how we raised funds for the school. So he had a woodworking um, uh, sort of outhouse in our backyard where he was constantly forging swords and shields out of wood and making stilts and doll houses and my mom was sewing doll heads and you know the wow. <laughs> wow that's amazing yeah yeah it, it's such a I have such fond memories of my childhood because of all of that um it was really it was very delicious feeling and I remember it that way that's a good word to describe yeah, it. Yeah. Kindergarten really was a delicious time. <laughs> it truly is in every sense of the word. Yeah. I can hear, I have a kindergarten class to my, my actually it's a preschool class to my right through this wall. And I can hear the daily rhythm through my paper thin wall every single day here at work. And I basically feel like I'm in kindergarten oh. all the time. <laughs> That's, and it is, it is so interesting to me that you talked about how your home looked like a Waldorf kindergarten when isn't it such a principle of the Waldorf kindergarten that it feels like a home yeah Absolutely. you know and and just to and to think about you know these like these these tiniest children coming into a school leaving leaving the the hearth and the circle of protection and comfort of their own family home what better place for them to be than in another place that feels like that yeah Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Amazing. So then you went through Waldorf kindergarten. I have kind of a fun question. What what was uh, what did you do on the playground? 
It's funny. I, I, I feel like most of my memories are inside. They're not as much outside, which is so strange because I know we spent most of our time outside. <laughs> um, <laughs> Were you perhaps cold during that outside time? <laughs> no, I have. I don't remember being cold because it was very important that we were always dressed appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was always like, there's no such thing as cold, uh, there's no such thing as cold weather. There's only such thing as inappropriate clothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I don't feel like I have any memories of suffering, um, throughout our, our, the, the weather of Canada, which is extreme. Um, but I, I definitely do remember having exceptional fort building experiences. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had a, a, at the time, not where our school is now, because we've moved locations um, a number of years ago, but there was a, a forest and a creek that ran behind our school, and we were truly free-range children at that time. Things have tightened up a little bit. Uh, that was the 80s, so, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit lawless back then. <laughs> but uh, just epic fort building, you know, no one batted an eyelash uh, if we needed to, um, you know, ask a teacher to hack up a log for us so that we had extra pieces to create new new structures. And um, we would make bridges over the creek. And it was pretty amazing. So I'm sorry, maybe I missed this and you said it, but you went to Halton Walder School and now you're working at Halton Walder School? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I I um I went to uh, first at what was called the Oakville Waldorf Kindergarten, which no longer exists. It was a, a very small school, and then they connected with this other small school that at the time was in a place called Campbellville, and um, they eventually merged to create what is now the Halton Waldorf School. Gotcha, gotcha a full-fledged um, preschool through grade 12 experience now. It, it evolved from a very tiny class uh, of sort of 16 and mm -hmm. now to 300 students here. So that's wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's really cool to have lived through that entire um, trajectory. I've yeah. watched that happen from the time I was, you know, three wow. or younger without consciousness and then to, to now I'm about to turn 40 in just a couple of weeks and I have a son here, I'm a parent here and I work here and it's just been really remarkable to be able to help observe all of that change over those years. Wow. That's incredible. So then what transitioning from, you know, from kindergarten into the grades, what was your grades experience like? What are some of those early grade school memories maybe um, that you treasure? Uh, I'd just love to hear about your grade school experience. Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll start by saying that when I finished senior kindergarten, uh, I guess I don't really know that probably the very, you know, real truth at the center of this decision, but my parents, um, for some reason decided that they wanted to put me in the public school system. That's what we call it here in Canada. I'm sure mm -hmm. it's not similar in the U S but, um, they wanted to, to try me there. Maybe it was a locale thing. We did live 45 minutes away from school. Mm. I've never really questioned, but I went into the public system for grade one. So um, Matthew and Linky, I guess, uh, not real 
Not real sincere. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I know. You're going to get beaten over the head with that. <laughs> There's a special uh, badge for you guys, right? It's a little yeah. different. <laughs> I like to say we are more experienced in the world. It's true. You probably appreciated what you had more than those of us for whom it was the the way. Uh. Well, that's exactly why I wanted to sort of um, give that backstory is because I had that first grade experience in the public school, school system, which I remember very vividly, which I find quite remarkable. Um, it was so... Uh, jolting from what I had experienced at that time as a child. And it certainly felt that way, I think, to my parents as well. Um, the conversations during that time are very vivid in my mind. Like my mom, me coming home from school with various um, drawings of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And I, was, <laughs> I didn't even know existed until then. And she was like horrified and... <laughs> Um, you know, the, the dinner table conversations where I would hear them being like, we've got to get back. We've got to get back. <laughs> um, and uh, so while I think it, I found it sort of titillating to be in the public school for a year, you know, I, I found uh, I found the contrast a little bit exciting. I was really happy to be back in a Waldorf school for the second grade. And I remember the first day coming back to the school, we were doing beanbag math equations. Mm. And uh, that, that day, like that day of being back for the first time after only a year away is literally burned into my memory. Mm. Uh, and I always think about that and wonder, you know, why that was so impactful for me at that age, um, whether it was just like comfort or, you know, what I don't know, joy. I'm not sure what it was, but uh, it just felt like very comfortable and safe and, and fun and all of those things. And that really was my experience all the way through the grades. I always just think back to those years as being those things specifically. Very safe feeling all the time. Very cozy, home-like. I, I think I called my teacher, my grade school teacher, um, Mrs. Anton, mom more times than I <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I think uh, anyone who's been through that experience of having a, the same teacher one through eight probably does that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was fun, and I I definitely wasn't the student though that um, necessarily felt like I wanted to. Uh, always embrace a Waldorf education. I think like as the years went on and I, I got closer to sort of like that six, seven, eight and was, was making more friends outside of the Waldorf system and was exposed to what other kids were doing in the world um, that wasn't how we were doing things at home and at school. I was eager to explore um, the other side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what did you do socially? What did you do outside of school? I was uh, I I was a big horseback rider, so oh. I was at the barn pretty much every day after school, all weekends. Um, you know, there were obviously other things that I experienced, but though but that was sort of the mainstay of my childhood as far as extracurricular stuff was concerned. Nice, uh, nice. Yeah, and it was a melting pot for 
all sorts of different, you know, lifestyles and things there. Totally. And I think I, one of our coworkers said something so beautiful. We, um, we had a senior class that was just especially, uh, <clears throat> it may be empowered <laughs> is, is one way to put it. And, um, it, it just really felt like a battle of the wills to really keep them present. And he said, you know, if, if, um, he said they, they, they have to, they have to grow to want more than this or else they'll never leave. Mm. You know, like that, that's, they, they have to yeah. like glorify what's on the other side or, or view this thing as a, you know, as something to be, you know, pushed away because otherwise, how do you ever leave a place where you are so deeply known? And yeah, I feel like, you know, the, that senior moment is one thing, but I think there's some of that in middle school too, of For just sure. developmentally that mm. like. That um, you know, they get really prickly in middle school. Oh, they certainly do. My son is in seventh grade, so we're just entering the prickly zone. <laughs> uh, I think at the time too, we didn't yet have a high school um, on campus, mm. and so we didn't have the older high school kids to model after. Like we yeah, didn't totally. have. Um, which now the kids now they do. And it really does make a difference because I see the students currently in our school that are sort of in that grade six, seven, eight. Um, and they just like look up to the high school kids with such a profound, uh, it's really amazing to, to watch. Like they really worship the ground that they walk on. And I think if, you know, I had that experience, maybe it would have been different, but I, I was certainly in that, um, that willful group of kids who was like, I need to explore the outside world. I need to do the exact opposite of what everyone else is doing here mm -hmm. to watch TV. And I want to play with plastic and I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to eat gas station chips. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I begged, I begged, I begged, I begged for two years straight. Please, please, can I go to any other high school other than the Waldorf High School? And um, the the Waldorf High School that, that I was set to go to was going to take two hours each way to get to and from. The school. Whoa. And it was train, subway, bus. It was a big mission and probably a little bit above my pay grade at 13 years old. Totally. Uh, so I think the, the begging combined with that journey uh, sort of um, enabled my parents to give me permission to go elsewhere. And that was sort of my second uh, leaving of Waldorf. Um, mm. uh, and... I went to a, another private, movement, like very academic, very um, textbook sort of Ivy League kind of high school mm -hmm. uh, and uh, experienced something completely different uh, for a couple of years and then moved again to public school for the last couple of years of high school. And still to this day, I carry this deep regret for having left. Mm. Um, uh, which I find very interesting and um, sad at the same time. Like I, I work through these feelings a lot, 
as an adult, you know, wondering why I can't sort of let that go. But I, uh, I, I felt like so forced by myself to kind of try this other path that yeah. was never really, never really felt like my path, but I was so determined that I wanted to go down that path. And, um, uh, uh as soon as high school ended, I remember just being like, if I ever have children, I'm never going to let them do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I didn't, uh, I, I did go on to have my own child and, and he has been uh, in this, in this Waldorf education system since, again, since he was born and he's very much looking forward to going to the high school in a couple of years mm. and, yeah. So I'm glad I have the ability to kind of like see that through a different set of eyes, uh, seeing how I didn't get to see that uh, the yeah. first time. Now, is it different in Canada than in the United States? Because as I, I thought middle school, is it true that it goes to ninth grade? Or can you talk a little bit about what high school looks like? What are we talking? What grades are we talking about and so on? Absolutely. So here we basically just call it elementary school or grade school and high school. And grade school is one to eight. Okay. And then high school is nine through 12. Okay. That's the same same thing here. Okay. Yeah. I'm, so you had, you know, grown up, you'd had this little experience of leaving and then coming back and really being in the Waldorf grades experience. And so I'm curious about kind of maybe some of the classroom contrasts that you felt when you left and mm-hmm. were there any things that kind of showed up that were in you that you maybe like that were maybe seeds that had been planted in your early years at the Waldorf school, even when you weren't in a Waldorf high school, maybe there were things that came up where you viewed things differently or you had, I mean, I even remember in college, I had this class and we would get extra credit if we recited a poem from memory. And I was like, how many times can I do this? I'll do this every day. I will get so much extra credit. I never have to come to class. And the teacher's like, no, 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 just once. But, you know, like that was this unexpected kind of fun moment where the first day of class, I read the syllabus and I'm like, OK, I'm going to say the Jabberwocky right now because and, and it was it was just such an unexpected manifestation of those gifts. Right. That had been given. Definitely. And yes, I, I most certainly had many experiences that I full heartedly um, associate with seeds that were planted in, in my early years. Um, some of which would be, um, well, one thing I never let go of was sort of my like crunchy granola <laughs> approach to life. <laughs> like, <laughs> certainly I've always been like a little bit more um uh, a lot more natural leaning you know like uh in sort of the food that I would seek out during high school the sort of clothing that I would wear the um the things I was attracted to mm-hmm. the art materials that I would you know, pull for, um, even sort of out of, out of context, like not in a Waldorf environment, I was still always like seeking those sorts of things out. And, um, and, and so that was obviously imprinted big, you know, big time while I was young, because that maintained, um, regardless of the environment, that sort of want for those things. 
Um, and then one area that I, uh, I definitely think about that as well is when I went off to um, public high school, so my last two years of my high school experience, I was um, I was definitely a bit of a punk. I was a punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. <laughs> I attribute that to Waldorf as well, actually. Um, but uh, I certainly kind of hung around some kids that were up to no good. And I always had this, like, exceptionally strong moral compass that always led me to make the right decisions mm-hmm. by my inclination to be surrounded by certain personality types. I never got myself into any sort of serious trouble. I, I always remember being in those specific situations where life could have really taken a different turn had I ABC, but I had this very clear inner voice that sort of always kept me in a a state of good decision making. Nice. And I really do think that that is for sure um, the the evolution of a seed of thought that was you know ingrained early on. You know, I always think about I'm going to forget it now that I'm actually recording this, but it's like. You know, I will fight for my, what is it? Now I'm forgetting it. There's like a specific early years poem that I will fight for For the the right. right. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) It's funny, like that sort of this like drum beat that Mm -hmm. kind of persisted. And um, I love that those, that sort of messaging is always, um, you know, just like an undercurrent uh, of Waldorf students' experiences. Yeah. yeah, that is, that is such a... It's impact, important. It is important, and it's such a a beautiful thing, and I think it, it comes out in so many different ways. You see that in the stories that are told, right? You see it in in Michaelmas. Like, you see these, you know, this, um, this, like, giving kids people to look up to who listened to their inner yeah. voice, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. So then you have now landed back in a Waldorf school, but how did you get there? So you graduate from public high school and then what was your journey from there through the world of adulthood now to being once again involved in a Waldorf community? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of always say that my adult, like my, my biography of my like whole life is like pretty like, I don't know, I feel like it is a byproduct also of Waldorf education because I've been, I've worn many hats. Mm-hmm. I'm a all-trade sort of individual, which again, I see mirrored in, you know, many, many graduating classes of our, our school and also in my my peers that I still am uh, in touch with almost all of them from, from grade eight, uh, that we're all the same. Like we've all had many different careers in 40 years. Um, and uh, I, for one, have gone back to school several times and um, for totally different things. And I think that really speaks to that, that desire to learn, the interest in the process, the want for more information. You know, I, I, I never have 
been the type of person that, you know, I would go to, I would, I would wake up, I'd go to school, I'd get a degree, and then I would work in that realm for the rest of eternity. You know, mm-hmm. like that doesn't um, make any sense to me. Um, and I know it does for a lot of other people, not to say that that's wrong, but it's just, uh, I've explored many avenues. So after high school, I actually went on to um, do animatronics animatronics and special effects makeup for television and film. Hmm. Um, so a lot of like character design. I, I worked in TV and film and commercials and, you know, hilariously, like all of the things I wasn't even really allowed to participate in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was a really incredible creative outlet and, um, obviously, uh, the, the creative juices that were flowing from my Waldorf experience, um, you know, continue to do so through that. And I was in that industry for almost 15 years. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, uh, while that's during that time, I, I got pregnant with my son and, um, pretty much immediately upon that pregnancy that that um that self-evolution starts to be starts to happen i'm not sure if either of you have children but yes um, we both do okay okay i I, i'm sorry i didn't catch that on any of the episodes i've listened to but you know then um that you begin to change rapidly and immensely and all of the things that you think are important shift um into place uh, at least they did for me uh and i realized that i i needed to make a change and, and i was working sort of 70 hour weeks yeah. um, on set uh, i had very little life very little time for friends or family or um myself and so i wanted to explore a career change at that time and I've always, you know, I have always and am still very interested in, in human health. Um, you know, I think, again, like the, the creative artistic mind and the science mind, um, we try to create that in world of children or the love for both of those things. Mm-hmm. And that certainly that, that balance always existed in me. My sort of all striving for one always led me to strive for the other. Like I was always kind of seesawing between like the creative artistic world and the the science world or the the world of medicine specifically was really where I was uh, very interested. And um, they're really one and the same anyhow at the end of the day. Um, But uh, I, so I decided to explore another education and I went back to school for um, nutrition and functional medicine. Wow. Mm. Very, very different path. And one that I really, really enjoyed, and I, I did that while my son was young um, and, and worked in that world, seeing patients, which I still do actually have a private practice um, uh, on the side. And, um, and then as the years went on um, through the pandemic, uh, our, the clinic that I was working for closed its doors for a year or so and mm-hmm. it kind of everything off just to take another shift. And um, my practice, you know, was then exclusively virtual and from home. And that was nice, but I was missing the connection to other humans. And it, again, sort of like created this um, desire for a bit of a rebirth. And uh, a position became open at the Halton Waldorf School, uh, where my son's had always been attending, um, for the marketing and communications role. And... 
they had been sort of secretly like whispering in my ear, like, come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come. Like, we love, we would love to have you in here and uh, you're a good fit and you, you know, you speak the language and you're steeped in it and makes so much sense. And although I have literally no education or experience um, in communications and marketing from a sort of, I guess, uh, like stereotypical path. I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life and mm -hmm. I've been doing my own marketing and outreach and <laughs> fundraising and advertising. And so I think uh, it seemed like an interesting pathway to explore. So now I'm, I'm back in a, a working role in school and um, it's, it's really interesting to be on the side of things. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> like behind the veil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, so fascinating being a, an alumni, a parent, and an employee. Like, mm -hmm. you really see everything um, from all of these different angles, and things start to make so much more sense. And so I find myself going, oh, like a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I know you guys have had similar experiences because I've heard you hint at them in, in some of the conversations you've had, but just these like, uh, like totally like breathtaking moments where I'm watching, you know, an Advent spiral or uh, a Michaelmas play that I've seen eight quadrillion times at this point in my life, mm -hmm. but time now, especially now that I'm in, in, in on the other side of things as an employee of the school, I'm just, it's just so remarkable, like the deeper meaning that a lot of these experiences have. Yeah. And as a child, you just couldn't possibly right. ever pick up on that. Yeah. Even though it's brewing, it's there to brew and to fester through your, your life. And then if you're lucky enough to come back to it, um, with some maturity and experience and hindsight that you can put together, you can connect all the dots. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is so fascinating to me that there is so much thought and intention and really, really deep layered um, just reasoning behind what's done in a Waldorf school, especially in the younger grades and the idea is that the child has no idea, right? Yeah. That the, the child has no concept of that whatsoever. And I would say probably for most, for many Waldorf students, they may not ever come around to see it from the other side. Because that's not the the point, right? right? Yeah. Like. That I think that's why so many people stumble, especially alumni, stumble over trying to describe what Waldorf is because they only know it as a series of experiences. They have no understanding behind the intentions behind those experiences. And and that, you know, it's it, there's always conversation about is it dogmatic? What does it look like? And I say, how can it be dogmatic when no one who experiences it has any idea what they just experienced? Like, no <laughs> No one knows what just happened. Like, whoa, that was a thing. <laughs> you know, I. it is just so fascinating to me. And I think you're right that like when you're sitting on the other side as a, you know, a faculty member or a yeah. staff member or just someone kind of on the school's team, 
right? Just looking around the room in those moments and seeing, it's like, it's like watching magic at work. It really is. Yeah. We had our, um, obviously our second week of Advent, Mm -hmm. uh, um, assembly for that this morning. And it's exactly the same verses and songs and stories as it was 30 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm, I just like, I, I welled up because I, I just, you know, get to, to, what a gift to be able to experience that again. Um, and, and see my son doing the same thing and having this like general, like these multiple generations in some cases here. Um, uh, it's just like, it's so profound to me. It's so beautiful. And like you said, I love that they don't have a clue what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I love that that's coming for them. Um, so, or maybe not uh, down the line. Um, that's fine too. Some children, some adults don't need that dot connection. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and some really do. Yeah, so, that it's it's enough to know that the tree grew, right? You don't have to know why. <laughs> yeah, and I love that for people. I wish I was, sometimes I wish I was one of those. <laughs> well, and I think that that is in so many ways the the element of freedom in a Waldorf education is that, you know, you, you received something that the people who were giving it to you all bought into a very, very specific worldview, right? And a rather, you know, detailed, very outlined set of rules in a way. Mm-hmm. And yet very much so. what is coming out of that is completely dependent on the individual that experienced it. Well, yeah. when you say education towards freedom, you can't then say, well, but you have to experience your freedom in this particular way, exactly. right? So, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that is the beauty. You can have a student love a particular class or, or love this or love that or hate that or not understand it. And then it's only maybe, again, 30 years down the, down the road when they start to realize like, oh, I do have the ability to, you know, sing my child lullabies because I went to chorus, but I hated every moment of chorus, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, that's still there for me. And so I think part of the education and the beauty of it is that there are so many seeds planted so unconsciously that it's up to each individual then in, as an adult to say like, is this, you know, do I, does this seed develop or, or not? And yes. it's almost then out of your freedom to choose what, what, what becomes. And then as we see, as we've been talking, I mean, it's, you're not the only one who's, who's changed careers. Right. And yeah. then there's all these other skills that come into play once you realize like, oh, I just changed careers and yeah. oh my gosh. Okay. So, you know, that was that main lesson or whatever. And, you know, in you talking about your story and talking about a lot of Waldorf graduates, you know, not taking one linear path. It's almost like one of the things that I see Waldorf graduates have intrinsically is this inner knowledge that it's okay to change, right? And it is okay to be multifaceted because there is, at least I perceive a myth in our culture that success is, or maybe this is the mythology of our parents at this point, honestly, is that the success is, like you said, getting a degree, graduating, and then going into that field, working all the way through until you retire with that, and then you go live in Florida, maybe. But I've seen so many of my peers, from my experience going through Waldorf education, just take 
complete career upheavals and shifts in stride and yeah. almost with excitement. And totally. I, agree. I, I, I sometimes laugh that, um, sometimes it's a, it's a curse being so well-rounded because when you're tr- trying to connect with people, you have like a really strong connection in one of these facets of your being. And then you reveal that, Oh, by the way, I'm also this. And they're like, wait, 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 but I, but you were that. And it's like, no, 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 I, I have, <laughs> we're, we're all these, all of these many different things because we got to be that. And I think that's, that yeah. potential is in every single person, but not right. everyone is put in an environment where that is nurtured. Right. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. You put it so beautifully and I really, I love that. And, and, uh, needed to hear it to be honest because um while of course i know that that all humans are are totally capable of of doing and being a million different things simultaneously um you're right like the messaging whether that's social or parental or whatever it 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 doesn't line up yet and um i do meet so many people or you know I'll, i'll you know have a friend from sort of 20 years ago and run into them a decade later and and they're confused by my trajectory changes or they'll find me on social media and they'll be like, wait a second, you do this, but also you have this designation and you then you used to do this. And like, you can find this like crazy breadcrumb trail of my past online of like these three different sort of characters that I feel like I've played yes. theoretically in my life. And I'm like, but wait, that isn't three different characters. It's just, that's just me. <laughs> like, right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, um, how, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I wish more people would have the, um, maybe, maybe not like the, the courage. I feel like it's a bit dramatic, but the, des- the desire or the will to go out and explore all of the different, um, uh, fragments of their of their being in that way like you don't have to just be an, an accountant you can yes. be an accountant and an illustrator and also a gardener yeah <laughs> yeah it's like the we're humans you know we we've so it's like we've become humans doing rather than humans being <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> i always think yeah. about that and um yeah and yeah i i'm so I'd love to hear a little bit about um, maybe like because you're in you're in this position where you are in many ways the bridge between a greater community and a Waldorf school. And yes. I'd, I'd love to hear you speak to, you know, maybe what is that like right now in the world and what are maybe some of the things you're hearing, concerns you're hearing coming from parents who are seeking out a Waldorf education, right? I, I'd just like to hear maybe some of Absolutely. your some of your perspective on, you know, you're just in a very unique position in that way because it's kind of like teachers are so imbued in it, maybe, right? That by the time someone comes to us, they've they've kind of come through you. <laughs> right. Yeah, they've asked the questions and, and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I would definitely say that um, more than ever uh, out in the world, people are are more aware of Waldorf education. I would say for the first time in my experience, um, you know, 
over the decades, uh, you know, in different contexts socially or through work or because of my child or whatever, um, you know, getting that question, what is Waldorf happens less and less, um, Mm. which is really amazing. Um, I definitely in the last few years have seen uh, a shift where a lot of folks are are looking at exploring Waldorf education, maybe for some of the wrong reasons, hmm. uh, like more political reasons, or um, you know, like I don't know how it was, or it doesn't matter what people's opinion or like personal beliefs are around this. But you know, like during COVID, there was you know a lot of uh, people looking for exemptions from certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, academically and um, you know these smaller not just Waldorf but any sort of smaller alternative schools that maybe don't follow the exact same framework as like a public system um, can tend to have a little bit more um, there are more liberties that can be taken I guess I would say and so we found that we had a lot of people coming into the community not for Waldorf education but for the liberties that seem to have been more able to be taken um, as a result of being an independent school. Uh-huh. So, um, and, and that continues to happen with other political um, uh, topics. Yeah. And so um, that's concerning for me because I, it brings a lot of people to Waldorf education that aren't necessarily committed for the long term. Yeah. Um, that really here for the actual education for the program. Um, they're here for other reasons. And so that does tend to muddy the waters um, for the families who come really truly for the Waldorf experience and the Waldorf education right. and the watching. Um, so, yeah, I would say that that's like certainly something that's more recently um, come up. Um, and then I, I do always sort of chuckle uh, and this happens to my son a lot while we like, have a conversation or a basketball tournament outside of school and, and say, you can run into someone and he'll tell this other child, oh, you, I go to a Waldorf school. And they go, oh, yeah, you, you that's like the outdoor school. And you, you're just outside all day. And he's like, no. <laughs> 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 and it's always so, like, I mean, people come to me and be like, why do people ask that question? Like, why do they think we're just outside all day long? And I guess it's just, um, I mean, it's a great misconception to have, I think, but it probably just because it's in, in comparison to the more conventional education model where they aren't outside at all, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything above that feels like it's all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's always, you know, it's either like you're an outdoor education model or you're an art school. Those are like the two things that we, yeah. we tend to hear. Yeah. Neither of which are, are accurate, but definitely both of which are huge components of, of the Waldorf experience in many ways. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think people are hungry for, uh, I think the majority of people looking for Waldorf education, though, are still looking for the um, the purest form of it. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting to know that that desire, the desire for that is still um, alive and well. Yeah. And, yeah. That, yeah, it's really remarkable that it's um, spanned this amount of time. Yeah. Uh, great societal changes, technological changes, um, social changes. Uh, that uh, it's really amazing that the um, like the fundamental, um, the foundation of Waldorf education is still able to make such a big impact on people's lives. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to go into that a little bit more. So, you know, for me, when someone says the foundation of Waldorf education, for me, that's anthroposophy. And it's something that often can never even be mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like we go around telling our students, oh, you're actually learning about anthroposophy and Rudolf Steiner and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so much of that actually is, you know, what I understand is to be underpinning. And I wonder how you meet parents and talk about anthroposophy in your work. Yeah, I, I think we do... Um I think we do have pretty open conversations with parents about that, certainly through the admissions process here. Um, I don't know that uh, every parent is ready for that conversation. Um, and sometimes it's more of like a, a drip feed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, though, just like we don't tell the students that they're learning about uh, anthroposophy or Rudolf Steiner's work or whatever, that many parents come intuitively into Waldorf and that uh, they learn simultaneously with the children about mm-hmm. about what that means and see it and versus have a full-blown lecture on, on, on what it means. Right. Some folks come wanting the lecture and we'll be happy to have it. (laughs) But um, I think, I think a lot of families come with the desire that they have for themselves and their children, whether it's fully conscious or unconscious at that moment to do soul work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that um, they begin to see that, uh, occur only through action versus dialogue. Yeah, it is. I I do have this this wonder about you know. I think you two are both uh, not very much older than me, but just a little bit older than me. So I was coming through in a school in the nineties that was already maybe ten years old ish, maybe fifteen years old in Austin, and um, and I. My parents came in knowing absolutely nothing about what it was, just that a friend of theirs had said, hey, you should check this place out. And I think they immediately responded to a feeling in the kindergarten, right? That just this feels good. This feels like a safe place, right? right? So that initial attraction in early childhood is so frequently an emotional one. And then you come into the grades where then content becomes a piece, right? And I think that's where kind of maybe fear, questioning, concern starts to come in. I feel like many schools see an exodus around middle school of like, okay, we've done the the per, what we perceive as the soft thing, and now it's time to prepare for college, right? And then there's Very even... Cool. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I mean, I remember my parents got into anthroposophy like they dove in and I saw them buy in so much more to the big picture and they gave their time when they were both working full time they they gave so much to the school I think because they really truly not only bought into what I was getting in the classroom but bought into the 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 world view, the the what was being cultivated spiritually 
in the community. Right. And it it is just such a... I sometimes, my perception as a teacher was sometimes I felt frustrated and a little bit like my hands were tied of like, can't we talk about what we're really doing here? You know, can't, can't yeah. we, I, I don't know if Matthew, yeah. you can relate to that a little bit, but it, it is this weird balance because I think for, for some people, you're right. There isn't an interest or a readiness to hear about, about it. And, and it of course has a million layers. Like, do you have to get into, you know, the, um, cosmic bathtub of, of, you know, history? Probably not. But should you maybe talk about your child as a spiritual being, being one of the core foundational pillars that the teachers are working through? Right. Probably. I I don't know. I think it's a, I, I feel like it's a question facing all of us. Well, it just feels like, like an, a topic that we all should really talk about, and it's so easy for even us in Waldorf, you know, faculty and staff to avoid it. Yes. It, it's just amazing. It, it's, it's, it's. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what that's about. Like, if it's a fear that it won't be received, or it's too, like, epic a topic to even, like, delve into in a condensed yeah. time. But we are always trying here, uh, and I know in other, all Waldorf schools are always trying to provide, like, community opportunities to learn more about it all. Um, and it's interesting because we don't often have a great level of success with those because, and it's not because they're not well done. They're always actually very beautifully done and by really fascinating and intelligent presenters. Um, but it's the attendance that's the issue. And so, I feel like there's always like this like a uh, group of sort of you know 30 to 40 families that attend everything and they know everything and they're in it and they could like literally be called the morning of to like sub out any grade and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. literally be totally qualified to do so um and then there's like the whole rest of the community that is here and it seems important for them to be here but there's this resistance to the material mm -hmm. there's this to get deeper and I always think about it and I it's you know I, I don't know that this is accurate in any way shape or form but I always just have this hunch that it's so uncomfortable to receive that information because it's the kind of multifaceted but I, I sort of see it in sort of two main pieces is one they weren't offered the experience to do that work earlier in their life. Maybe their childhood was tied up in a, a whole bunch of complicated stuff that mm -hmm. um, when faced with it now is like challenging to mm -hmm. um, take on because of that. And then also because they're so deeply rooted in their own um, uh, story now as an adult that they're like, no, like, right. yeah, right. Not, I'm not a personality type. I'm not a... I'm not, I'm not, Do not put Saturn uh, upon me. Yeah. No, no Saturn upon anyone. And yeah, there's just so much of that where they're they're just like uh, completely, um, almost like repulsed by right. the idea. 
in it and not because they're repulsed by the existence of it. They just don't want to go there personally. Yeah. Right. It also strikes me just even from my own studies, how I can be pers- I can personally sit down in my chair and read a lecture of Steiner's and come to a lot of like, wow, that was really insightful. And then if you ask me to like talk about what I just read to a group of my own, you know, Waldorf peers, I'm like totally at a loss for words. Well, like, well, that lecture was about, and I cannot recreate the dip, you know, what I did individually versus in a group setting. And I wonder just how much when we talk about spiritual development is personal and it's based on our own sense of freedom and what we want. And some people just don't even want to go there as you were saying, Kate. And um, so I think it's just an interesting and challenging and basically an individualistic enterprise. That's, that's a great point. And I think that you're right. Like I always describe reading Steiner as like, I put on my scuba gear and then I like go underwater and I see everything, right? Like I see and it's clear and I can breathe and I know like I'm one with the fish. And then I go above water and I'm like trying to recreate what I experienced under the water. And I think that is an excellent point. And and, and it, it is this, I, I don't, I truly don't know what the answer is because I think you're right that people have to come to the anthroposophy out of their own individual freedom. And there's this beautiful thing happening in in a Waldorf school to where you don't have to, you know, sign your, you know, decree of anthroposophical, you know, (laughs) intent to, to be a part of it. And so, but I think that then if no one is a part of it, Mm. then the foundation is lost. It gets diluted. Yeah. It gets diluted that, Mm. And and so what is then the the balance between giving, you know, respecting what teachers are doing in the classroom that's being informed by anthroposophy when an individual may be entirely ignorant as to what those things are, mm-hmm. right? Well, and you, you also then, I mean, if we're talking about this, I, I imagine then, Kate, you also talk to parents who, you know, you're, you're looking at what's happening in the classroom through a couple different lenses, right? One is, of course, especially it's so easy in the kindergarten, you know, you have the silks and the wood toys and it's all great. And then you get to high school, right? And you could basically be sitting in an empty room in high school. I mean, okay, maybe it's painted in blues and greens and purples. And, you know, there's a whole, that, that, and maybe the architecture, but honestly. There's a map of the U.S. on the wall. Yeah, you can't, it doesn't look all that different, right? And so you have, I think, you know, if you really like when I think about my own teacher training, right there, it was so much about my personal development and not about classroom management. Not so you, you, as you talk about these things, it's hard because, you know, any teacher who's a good teacher has classroom management skills. You, and you, any teacher who's a good teacher cares about their students and wants them to learn. But if you're talking about a Waldorf classroom in middle school, in high school, whatever, there's something else. And that something else is so hard to put your finger on it. But I can talk about it in terms of, well, I take my students into my sleep life and I, you know, I think about them and then I wake up and maybe I have a different idea about how to bring a lesson or something. But there's such an intangible that I don't know how you would talk about that in a, in a three minute conversation with a parent group. But there, there's something deeper under the surface than, it's, than more than just classroom 
management, more than the content, more than how you hold them. I mean, I guess it's more about how you hold them. Yes. But it's also kind of how you are as a person and how that resonates with the students. Yeah. It's almost an impossible thing to really explore in any three-minute conversation, for sure. Um, And I think I sort of said this, or at least I said it in my mind, whether I said it out loud is a different story altogether. (laughs) (laughs) The students... Like, especially in the grade school, you know, the kindergarten through grade eight experience is just as much a education for the parents as it is for the students. And I really don't think that anyone who just comes in um, as a Waldorf parent, a new Waldorf parent in kindergarten uh, would ever be able to, even with all the lectures and conversations and uh, books of Rudolf Steiner's and all of, you know, all of these sort of courses that we can take as parents, um, would ever really fully understand that, um, those concepts until their child has moved through that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a, an, it's a, it is not just a student's experience. It is a student and a parent and a family and a teacher and mm-hmm. a teacher family. And it's really, it's so layered and so connected. And every single one of those people are evolving simultaneously yeah. in conjunction with each other. And none of those people have it figured out until ever. But yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe for a moment at grade eight graduation, and then you know, <laughs> and then over again. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, we don't do we don't do a lot of like deep defining of that stuff in admissions. Yeah. We touch the surface and invite everyone to explore it on their own. Uh-huh. Um. With plenty of opportunity to yeah. gain more insight, of course. But. And then I think that's where the, the class teacher as a collaborator with the parents really holds power is, you know. The, and is a guiding light. And is a guiding light of, yeah. you know, hey, third grade, you know, nine year change is coming in hot. Here's what that is, you know. And I think that, um, you know, the the, the parents getting to do what wet on wet watercolor, you know, yeah. or getting to sit at the little desks and those lived experiences. And you're right. Parents see it in their kids. I, mm-hmm. you, so many people who I speak with, who are parents say, I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing here, but my kid is thriving yeah. or, but I do see in my child, I do feel like you see my child and that's enough for me. Yeah. Well, and at the yeah. high school level, I mean, I've had lots of conversations with parents after graduation being like, oh, I finally get it. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, great. Wow. You know, and so it, it calls to mind like the, you know, Santa Fe Walder School used to have its tagline as education for a whole life. And it's like, oh, my God, it takes a whole life to kind of understand like what, what yeah. happened, you know. Yeah. Though, I, I'm, um, I'm so lucky to be in this position uh, at the school as a, a faculty member now where I'm connected to um, some of the teachers that I had growing up that no longer work here. They were tired, but they're um, mentors or yeah. they'll pop in for a winter fair or, you know, some, some thing. And we cross paths and there's always this like look in their eye that is just like, ah, 
Yeah. yeah. You get it. <laughs> and I just think, gosh, that is just a wild ride for teachers. Yes. Yeah, like there is this whole existence that happens once you graduate a class where you probably, I'm sure many times you might not think about a student for years, and sometimes you might think about a student regularly and wonder, like, did like did I make a difference? Did yeah. any of the things that we worked on tire <laughs> day in and day out, did they matter? And then maybe you end up crossing paths in this like strange and unexpected way, and you get to see that, yes, like you had some impact, some level of impact. Yeah. And I, I also find that, you know, speaking of all of this inner work as being so individual, right. That, you know, it, sometimes I find that the students who I pour the most of my attention and, and effort into frequently are the ones who, give me the least in return and isn't that a lesson in and of itself right yeah you know in that <laughs> and and also just remembering being you know we're we were high school teachers but remembering being 18 and mm. you know i i mean maybe there was like a little wave of nostalgia in the last month and you know after being absolute brats for four years <laughs> I, mean, I mean that's that's maybe being harsh but you know after after being teenagers for four years suddenly you know oh my gosh thank you you know and, and seeing the teachers kind of quirk an eyebrow at us like really but not at that time having the capacity to voice my gratitude for what what I received yeah and I think that is you know the as a teacher it, it can't be about, you know, getting a thank you card, right? Because, because you will, it, it's, that isn't the work, right? That it's, it's planting, it's like the freedom of letting go. We, my husband and I are hypothetically talking about maybe moving and we have this home where we've been planting trees for three or four years that are now five feet tall, six feet tall, about to bear fruit and Oh my gosh, if we leave, what if someone cuts the trees down? Yeah. And 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 yet someone will do with the land what they will. And that's kind of like our students that we plant the seeds and then they are going to go out and they're going to be free. And there's something really powerful to be on the receiving end of that to see how long it took for so many of those things to come to bloom within me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean and we're, you know, we're really talking about things that maybe we just have just a few years to work with that maybe we're lifetimes in the making. I mean, there's so much mystery and around all of this that, you know, I, I can imagine, especially, I mean, there's a couple instances specifically Taylor with you about working with students through the college guidance process that I'm like, you know, honestly, I think that might've been kind of a karmic, you know, like (laughs) multi-life destiny kind of issue that you've been working with there. And it's super frustrating and, you know, who knows what will happen out of that. But, um, but yeah, as part of talking about education, it's not just, you know, what happens in this moment but yes. but what we fixed from previous times or maybe we're setting up something in the future who knows 
I want to just take this moment, Kate, and ask you, I mean, we've almost reached an hour. It's felt very, very much shorter than an hour already talking with you. But is there something that you'd like to ask or bring um, a question or, or something from, you know, from you? Hmm. Well, um, maybe I'll, I'll ask this question not from so much of a personal level, although, of course, it's a little bit personal, but um, our, our school here, um, we just opened the doors of our high school only like three years ago, really. Officially. Wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. A long time in the making. <laughs> <laughs> can imagine uh, we have a beautiful new building that was that we built um, off the back of a, a community of parents that Taylor, like you said, you just you see them just give and give and give and give and work. And it's like tireless and they are all full time employed with multiple children and their own lives and busynesses. And they somehow still manage to rally together and, and enable this like breathtaking yeah. manifestation of yeah. the next level of our school to occur. And I guess like, because it's in its infancy, um, you know, we only have uh, a few dozen students in the, in the school. And I guess I'm curious since you both, you both taught in high school, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 18 um, years. Okay. Okay. Can you share with our, with me and our community at large, any sort of little tidbits of wisdom about how to continue being um, inspired and moving forward for that um, very tender age? <laughs> yeah. The, the the first blossoms of the high school. Oh, I could speak about this for hours. I, it's seriously one of my most favorite topics. Um, I'll take a first stab at it, yeah, and then you, you, you. So you know the high school, the Waldorf High School, has to be different from the grade school experience. It's 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 the crowning achievement. It's where. Everything, all the seeds that were planted has the chance to start to sprout. And, and yet, if you think, if you treat it like a continuation of middle school, it's going to be a disaster. So my, my heartfelt advice is to look at what um, the indications are for high school and what is taught when, but really come at that with a spirit of innovation. And... You know, the Renaissance, for example, doesn't have to be the, the, the Italian Renaissance or of, you know, it can be the Harlem Renaissance. It can be, it can be, I mean, you know, it, I, I'm just thinking of myself as, you know, take one of those exercises where you imagine, you know, a suitcase and you imagine it, well, the suitcase is inside out, but imagine what it would be like if it was turned outside in. Uh, we did this exercise with Jamin McMillan. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a way to th free up your thinking. And, and I would say that that is kind of what the Waldorf High School is all about. I've heard that Rudolf Steiner, I haven't actually read these words yet, but you know, he, he thought the Waldorf School should be one way, then he totally changed his mind and said it should be a different way. Um, and really, I, I just encourage that the community set, looks at the high school and says, 
while we have to maybe provide, you know, certain benchmarks, you know, so that the students can go to college, it's really a chance to transform and enliven the, the education in a way. Yeah. That's a, a, as much as I can say it in a nutshell. Yeah. Beautifully said, Matthew. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's also an element with the high school that um, high school students are really discerning of individuals. And I think that when teachers are given the opportunity to teach from their experience and teach from their passions and the students feel it. Yeah. And, um, I, I think personally, one of the most successful classes that I taught was one that came from me just saying, Hey, this was a book that changed my life. Can I teach it? And the joke with my colleagues was that once I taught this class, then none of the students could shut up about this book. And so they kept, they're like, no, we need to put that class at the very end of the year because it's like they kept, <laughs> but, but I, I saw the, the, just as, as individuals, they're just waking up to this possibility of like, who could I be? Yeah. And so the more chances you get them, you give high school students to, to like, hear about different versions of that of like who you know a biography of this person or a speaker coming in who lived through some incredible moment in another part of the world like they really are drawn to um to like real life lived things and um and i also think that you know i I actually just was in my travels at um, at the I was in Viroqua, Wisconsin, and I visited the Youth Initiative High School. And something that they, you know, they 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 really have kind of thrown out a lot of the indications and have made something very unique there. But one thing that I was incredibly impressed with in just interacting with the students there was how empowered the students are. And how involved they are in leadership and decision making within the high school. And oh. the, I've spent a decent amount of time around teenagers in the last few, you know, in the last six or seven years. And these kids in this high school, I mean, I walked in, I was a stranger. It's a bustling hallway. Five or six different students just walked up to me, said, hey, can I help you? You know, who who are you? I'm, you know, and, and shook my hand and introduced themselves. And yeah. There was, um, I think when you give high school students responsibility and opportunity, they will rise. And I think that a lot of times we tend to hide high school students away because they wear tube tops and have, you know, scary makeup. And, <laughs> you know, I think there's a perception around teenagers, but I think that when given a chance, they really can do incredible things. And giving high school students the opportunity to be involved in the festival life like at our as school role models, as yeah. role models like yeah. at our school our our halloween walk experience was put on by the high school and it um i think it was it was in its early stages of growing but i still think every time we did that there were these shining students who stood out because of volunteerism or their willingness to fully go into character and create magic for younger students. Yeah. And I think that, um, that accountability 
you know, the teenagers can really, really rise. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, just one more aspect of the festival life particularly was, was Michaelmas for, Mm. for, for us, you know, the, we had a senior, either one senior was chosen or a few had happened, but the seniors leading the Michaelmas pageant and, and then leading the Michaelmas games. So this, each senior would go down through the grades and assemble a team with different swatches of color. So there was like, you know, the pink swatch Mm -hmm. and then the polka dots and then the, Anyway, any any chance that the high school interacts with the with the other grades, I think, is particularly um, valuable as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're seeing that already for sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And it's just, I I think, like Matthew said, like the high school is in many ways the the crowning culmination. Mm-hmm. And I think because a parent walks into the building and doesn't immediately see on the surface the differences like you would see in the kindergarten or a grades classroom. Because of that, I think that it can be very easy to write it off. Yeah. And yet I really feel that intellectually the high school is where those seeds of like where the idea of free thinking and freedom and individuality, like that is where those things are more explicitly stated. That is where... You know, I, I can see those seeds planted early on in the grade school, but the high school is where I learned right. how to think. Right. And the right. high school is where I learned how to, you know, question and how to not take paradigm on, you know, like the high yeah. school is where that happened. Right. And when I look at, you know, oh, my Waldorf education is so much of who I am, so much of my memory and the concrete things I see playing out in my life came from the high school. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about that is adolescence is really messy. And, you know, so you, you know, the, the, the challenges that arise are messy and things that often go home are like, you know, deep, you know, very challenging social dynamics, you know, um, friendships made and friendships lost and I mean almost you know karmic level you know interactions and you know experiments with drugs and substances and alcohol and driving and I mean just the whole ball of wax what I found always really helpful in those situations was the team of teachers in a high school surrounding the students and that it was a team, not a class teacher. Right. And so the responsibilities and, and the conversations and, you know, they were real and it, it, it the, the people, you know, so I, I guess I want to, what I'm trying to say is that the teachers have to be their, their authentic selves. We ask the students to be their authentic selves. And of course, people are experimenting and, you know, trying on different personas and personalities and the astral storms and blah. But in the end, you have this team that always underlies the, the process. And I never went astray when I relied on my on my colleagues. You know, that's yeah. in almost every in everything, your class trips and you know, what do I do in this grade? Are you seeing this in your class? I'm seeing this in my class. Yeah. yeah. Some of the most profound 
experiences that I had as a teacher in the high school was coming in and when there was a student who was going through something, just bringing them to our meeting. And it's different when a class teacher brings one of their students maybe in a child study because they really are the expert. They really are the one holding that child so close. And in the high school, every single one of us has a different relationship with that student from a different perspective, right? There may be you know, hearing that someone who's barely managing to stay afloat in your class is thriving in another teacher's class is such a welcome perspective. Or, you know, there were times where I was the, you know, I was a basketball coach for the high school boys basketball team. And so there were times where a student would maybe be struggling academically, but I could offer some perspective about, you know, their integrity and, and strength they were showing in sports. And so it's like, who is that person? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, you know, that is so valuable and it, it's such a, um, it's such a balm to just kind of the, the, the kind of jaded <laughs> worldview that so many of us, that, that, that seems so omnipresent and to see just a group of people who see you or who, who are there seeing a student that it's yeah. it's really it's really powerful stuff and you know i we worked together with so many parents yeah you know just to hold these kids and um it's a really really powerful time and um really powerful work to be done with adolescents in that way yeah and i yeah there's just so much more to say i <laughs> You know, I, you know I, I'm currently just thinking, I'm like, how do we get you guys here? <laughs> <laughs> how do we get you here? Just even for a talk. Anyways, that's TBA. We would love that. It is It is one of my dreams to do a live recording at a Waldorf school. Ooh. You know, okay. so be set up. Planning to do that. Yeah, please. That's. <laughs> I think that would be incredibly <laughs> powerful. You know, have, um, you know, I think we're. We're open to many, open to possibilities. Totally open to possibilities. <laughs> That's a really exciting thing to think about. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. I'm really excited to, uh, I don't know how excited I am about sharing my personal stuff with everyone else, but like <laughs> this part about the high school, I'm just so excited to share with our current high school teachers and um, they we're in that time where they're all like, what? are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> this is a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, they're, they're amazing. And it's not a terrible mistake. It's definitely a, what they're doing is remarkable, but it's like, you know, like they were just like birthed into this, like, yeah. Yeah. And um, we can, you know, just use all the inspiration that we can get right now and, and all the motivation and these, um, beautiful stories that you just both shared about what you feel is important um, during that time. Yeah. They're really going to appreciate that. So. Oh, great. Good. I, I miss it. You know, I was in that yeah, walking around a high school. And I was like, oh, I, oh, look at look at them all, you know, the, <laughs> look at all these personalities emerging, you know, and uh, look at the kid knitting in the corner. I just like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I miss teenagers. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 good. Teenagers are good. It's just uh, complicated, but there's so much good there. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I have to ask before we wrap this up, you mentioned that you taught a book and that it was very excitable and that you know what book it is. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. No, it's, uh, the book is Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Oh, okay. Have you read it? I haven't read it, but I know it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think um, questions of fixing the world, mm. you know, live really are a huge part of what is on the minds of young people. Yeah. And that's both through kind of that their direct observation. It's through cultural messaging. It's through what they're, you know, it, it, it's, it's all around them in a storm. And um, I just find that that book is, is just structured in such a way that is, both very accessible to them while also requiring incredibly just deep thinking in order to grasp it. And um, every time I've taught it, it's gone entirely differently. Like a class brings so much of their individual individuality to, to how they, what stands out to them, what they focus on, what they completely miss or what doesn't connect with them. And, um, and we did literally move that block towards the end of the year because it was one of those kind of outward facing blocks that when we, when it started the year, then every other block was like, well, how does this fit in with Ishmael? And it was like, (laughs) I am trying to teach you calculus. Like, just (laughs) wait a second, you know, like, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had some conversations with colleagues about, (laughs) and, and yeah, so I um, it was a class that it was taught to me by one of my favorite high school teachers, um, Morgan Vierheller. And I, you know, once I was teaching, I was like, wait, could could I could I yeah. teach this book? You know, and, and um, so, yeah, Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, a man sees an ad in the paper, you know, says teacher looking for pupil must have an earnest desire to save the world. He's immediately enraged because he spent his entire young adult life searching for trying to save things, searching for the truth, searching for meaning. And he found nothing. And so he is just colossally enraged that someone has the audacity to pretend like they know it. And so he follows the ad with the intention of berating this teacher. And he shows up in a warehouse and there behind a large glass wall is a gorilla and he sits down with this gorilla and the gorilla starts to communicate telepathically (laughs) and they talk and that is the book (laughs) oh the gorilla i'm going to be reading that very soon probably over the christmas break (laughs) please please do and let me know what you think i um it's a cool perspective shift Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for um, enabling these conversations. I, I uh, have given you a couple of names of people that I think would also be great to chat with, but uh, one of them um, is one of the people in leadership role here at the school. And I, I came to her and I, I said, like, look, no, we're constantly newslettering people and we're constantly sending articles to read and we're constantly doing this and this and this. Like, how wonderful. We could send a podcast episode and to our whole community and um, they would be able to receive insights from all kinds of different people, walks of life, different perceptions of the same information or, or what have you. And I was like, this is what we need. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I'm so relieved to know that that you two are out there and doing this. It's just so cool. Thanks. Yeah, well, thank I'm you. just it's, really grateful for you. Yeah, I know this is like this. I, I feel like a battery. I'm, like I'm just charged. Like my hair standing on end after this conversation. I just really appreciate you. You know, being a part of it. It's been yeah, and reaching out to us. Yeah, it's been really amazing. Well, I hope that this enables um, other Canadian Waldorf schools to see see you, and um, and maybe you'll. I mean, there's just so many fantastic, amazing, inspiring people in this country that are involved in Waldorf education that I hope will um, follow yeah. suit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Kate. My pleasure. Have a good day, guys. This concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, visit our website at hardbeeswax.transistor.fm. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can always email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com. Hard Beeswax would not be possible without the expertise and time of Andy Smith, our producer and sound whisperer, who has been our hype man from the beginning. And lastly, thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in with us and sharing in the absolute magic brought by our guests. Your support means the world to us. You have our utmost gratitude.